Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our NetBank CIB post-budget speech webinar. My name is Jones Gondo. I'm a, a senior research analyst in NetBank CIB markets, and I'll be your host today, as well as um, uh, joining me today is uh, my colleague, Walter DeVette, who's also uh, an economist and strategist uh, in NetBank markets. Uh, we're talking the business of uh, the budget. Um, I think, you know, if I look at how this was the first in, in many respects, this budget was a first for the minister in Ogorongwana, as well as um, a first that, uh, you know, the budget was being held essentially uh, without all the pomp and ceremony that usually is attached to, 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 to the budget. Uh, the minister went straight to the business of the day. And I'm going to follow suit. But uh, just before we do that, I just want to remind you all the usual etiquette that uh, we've got a chat box um, that you can use. And I'll be uh, proctoring uh, your questions. And uh, towards the end, um, we'll have a bit of a Q&A and, and try and dive into some of the details. Uh, but uh, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Walter, and get straight into this budget. Great, thank you, uh, Jones, and uh, good morning, everybody. Thanks for for joining us. Um, so I'll take you through a couple of slides just to give a sense of what we think the key points are and highlights. Um, and then, of course, you are more than welcome to ask questions towards the end, um, specifically if there's something of interest which we haven't covered. Um, if we think about the budget, just in broad terms, uh, you know, it's definitely a budget, and I think we're going to see it um, in future years too, where the focus will be on social relief and also a debt reduction. Um, South Africa is in a privileged position for the first time, I think, in, since pretty much 2006, 2007, where we do sit on quite large cash balances. Now, there's a lot of differences between where we are now and where we were in 2007 in terms of the overall debt burden. But it is a, a decent position to be in. Um, you know, but ultimately, and as the quote there says, you know, for South Africa, the big issue remains expenditure. And, uh, you know, as Milton Friedman has mentioned, you know, nothing is per so permanent as a temporary government program. And one of the key things that we'll look at, and I'll also touch on in this presentation, of course, is how do we think about specifically basic income grants in South Africa, and also the, the wage bill for government, which remains two key outstanding issues for uh, for the budget and government in particular. Now, 2022 budget, the key takeaways, um, specifically on the revenue side, you know, gross tax revenue collection um, has been about 30, 62 billion rand stronger than what we expected only four months ago in the medium-term budget um, framework that was delivered in early November. And it ex we also expect the, the revenue over the medium-term expenditure framework, i.e. until 2024-2025, um, to be about 311 billion rand more than what uh, we were expecting just three months ago, four months ago. So that's good. That's great. A lot of it is, of course, only forecast, and that can change, and history has shown us that has changed. And I think that's also one of the key things and key takeaways here is that um, we do sit with revenue that's cyclical and to a large extent driven by corporate income tax, at least at this stage. Then on the expenditure side, key takeaway there is that 
you know, government has made it clear, and as I've mentioned, that's going to be one of the key themes in the next couple of budgets over the next three to four years, is that any revenue overruns relative to projections are likely not to be used fully towards debt reduction, but government will spend quite a large chunk of that. Within this budget, government indicated that they are going to spend roughly 39 to 40 percent of all the additional revenue on mainly social relief. Um, that might change slightly in terms of where they focus the spending, but definitely we are not going to save all the money that we get that we did not bargain on. Financing needs, you know, I think one of the key takeaways, it remains a, 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 a forecast only, but fortunately the trend tends to is, is quite consistent over the past 18 months. The debt to GDP, the debt stock of the country, uh, um, continues to improve. Um, we do think that at this point, the debt-to-GDP ratio is going to peak at around about 75% um, in 2024-25, which is lower than the 77% uh, projected just uh, four months ago, and it is also um, earlier, a year earlier than previously projected. And ultimately, that's good. Ultimately, that's what rating agencies want. Unfortunately, as I said, we would need to wait and see for time to pass because this is really just forecast at this point. And then ultimately, what's the impact on the currency? We read the, the, the impact of the budget really neutral for the currency as opposed to positive, not because it's been a bad budget, but we just think that so much has been priced into the budget, into the run-up of the, of the budget. People were expecting this, and there's no new upside. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the external geopolitical risk at this point is weighing on the RAND. And um, ultimately, we do think that um, the RAND actually trades slightly lower from here or week, or weaker rather. Okay, so to move straight on to some of the details um, and highlight, what I'll do is I'll constantly try to highlight to have where we see kind of risk biases and maybe discrepancies and, and what we at least would look out for over the next couple of months as the fiscal year progresses. Um, so first of all, um, what caught our eye and on the left-hand side chart of, of this slide is that Treasury's forecast for nominal GDP remains quite conservative. And you know, why do we focus on nominal GDP? Of course, real GDP is important. That real GDP is really important for economic growth. Real GDP is really important for job creation. But when we think about the budget, and specifically in terms of expenditure and also specifically in terms of revenue, it's nominal GDP that matters because that's the base from where these things are generated from. And Treasury has been very conservative. And specifically, if you look at the upcoming fiscal year, 22-23, you can see that Treasury actually forecast a, a, a nominal GDP that is only 3%, um, and that is low. That is very conservative. Now, they would tell you there's many reasons for this. We actually think they do this on purpose because they're trying to manage expectations. They do not want to um, show that they are having a lot of overrun. They are having large um, Revenue overshoot, which government can just go and spend then. So that is certainly something we look at, and we do think we might set ourselves up for a, another a surprise within this space. Um, and we'll continue to monitor that within the next two, two, three um, uh, months. Um, the next thing that we look at, and just in terms of how we see our, our forecast pan out, um, and this is just on the right-hand side, um, we do have the following here. If you look at where we see our growth relative to Treasury, 
We've got a 2% forecast for this year. We've got a 1.9% real forecast for next year. And ultimately, we do have a 2.1% for Treasury and a one8 Broadly in line, the last thing I'll point out on growth specifically is that Treasury does think that we will not see any uh, growth above 2% over the next two to three years. Um, and that is structurally rather than cyclical. Um, and we would tend to agree with that that large degree has got to do with also how do we view um, electricity within the country. Okay, so then moving on to the next slide. Um, if you if you look at revenue growth and revenue and, and expenditure, and I've highlighted in the start that governments intend to spend most of the revenue. These are the revenue overshoots on left hand side graph, revenue overshoots as well as um, expenditure overshoots that government is planning for each fiscal year. And as I've mentioned, also government sits with a substantial um, cash surplus and the highest that we've seen you know, in, 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 in a number of years, which is a good position to be in. And it really comes from the strong revenue growth that we've seen in the current fiscal year, 73 billion overrun uh, relative to what we expected a few months ago, and then also expenditure tend to run slightly shorter. And then over the next couple of years, as I mentioned, you can see government try, uh, planning to, to spend most of the revenue they get in. Um, and then uh, in the outer years, about half of the additional revenue forecasted, which is prudent. They don't plan to spend all the, for, all the, the money in the outer years because ultimately revenue remains a forecast. And of course, expenditures tend to be sticky. So that overall is good. It should keep growth um, at least fiscal support for growth. Um, and then just in terms of the right-hand side graph, where does the main deficit sit? Uh, the black graph is from the, the black lines or bars are from the budget. And uh, yeah, I, I would focus on that. And the gray ones is just relative to the MTBPS a few months ago. And you can see generally the black bars show improvements in deficits. That is good. Um, we are seeing uh, the outer here at 4.5% as opposed to 4.9%. Once again, if you look at the, the upcoming fiscal here, 2022-23, um, the deficit hasn't changed the forecast. I just wanted to um, touch on some of the areas that um, uh, we were going to go on, which is uh, the debt trajectory. You know, I think um, what has been the headline issue for South Africa has been where the debt uh, stack is. There's a big difference between the stock of debt and the pace at which debt was growing. The right-hand chart definitely shows that, uh, you know, in this budget, uh, they're trying to show a declining out-a-year forecast of where the debt trajectory is going. The big questions that you always get from rating agencies is whether this stabilizes or not. And the stabilization uh, process really is about, you know, managing the deficit, particularly the primary budget uh, uh, balance. Um, when we look at uh, corporate income tax, it remains a you know the key driver of revenues. We know that um, you know at the top end, what really benefited South Africa in this particular budget was corporate income tax. Yes, there was uh, you know the the result of uh, COVID grants sort of um, bridging um, consumption um, uh, throughout the economy. It helped with fat. Um, it helped with uh, PIT to a certain extent uh, because of you know our corporates were uh, did make a, quite a V-shaped recovery. Uh, but I think the main point here is really whether um, we've been able to um, 
that this this is not a windfall that can be necessarily repeated and that's why on the last slide we really showed um that they're quite conservative with uh, their nominal gdp meaning the tax take as well as what will happen uh in terms of their expenditure uh, assumptions um on the left hand side it's a comparison of other oecd countries and looking at south africa 2019 versus 20 2020 um so you know this this the 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 picture looks good for um, trajectories of, 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 of where debt is going to land, but there are still uh, significant downside uh, risks uh, to, to that outlook. Um, where, you know, tax relief uh, measures um, were concentrated. Look, I think there was a lot of uh, discussion about uh, helping the middle class, but uh, we really think that, uh, you know, additional taxes particularly right now where we're just still in the recovery phase probably would have been significantly uh, harm uh, would have been pretty much harmful for our growth um and regressive uh, but it seems as if national treasury is really going and trying to do all the homework that needs to be done so some of the measures and reviews uh, that, that 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 they've committed to doing is the discussion document uh, on personal income tax reg- regime uh, for for remote work, I don't know if many of you tried to uh, put in your uh, application form for work from home, uh, but you know I think it's uh, it's 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 something that really does uh, need clarity, um, and and I think uh, procedural um, uh, clarity at that. Uh, a review of the exemptions for f- uh, foreign retirement benefits and uh, and domestic tax legislation. Will be conducted. I think this is something that has been on uh, the agenda for for a while. It's good to see that uh, you know we might uh, get some uh, headway and conclusion on that. And then, of course, a review of depreciation and investment allowances, um, which will take place in this next f- fiscal year, um, and that should be followed by a release of the discussion document around that. A uh, government will review the approach to adjusting the thresholds for um, inflation. Um, and this is really about adjusting the tax brackets. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's a lot of work, I think, that SARS has done to get to this point of, um, uh, you know, closing a lot of the loopholes, essentially. Um, and I think the minister really mentioned mentioned this, as opposed to just using the blunt instrument of raising tax, perhaps introducing new taxes, um, a lot can be done on the administrative side to actually make sure there's uh, better uh, expansion of the tax base, as well as more efficient collection. Um, on the tax measures that were announced, uh, you know, inflationary relief through a 4.5% adjustment to the personal income tax brackets and rebates, um, an expansion of employment tax incentive, um, which is uh, will be done through a 50% increase in the maximum monthly value uh, to 1,500 rand, and there's no change to the general fuel levy or the road accident accident fund levy, um, but there's an increase of between four and a half and six and a half percent in excise duties on alcohol and tobacco. And in the budget, they went into quite some level of detail in terms of the specific line items, uh, or um, that 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 will be attracting a higher tariff. Um, uh, I I'll, I'll stop there and see if uh, Walter wants to pick up again uh, from the wage bill. 
as John has mentioned, we do have uh, the, the tax cuts. You know, just one last point on that, and then we move on. You know, talking to the Treasury officials, and I think that is, this is also one of the key points that we need to make, um, is that Treasury has actually realized um, that they have, they cannot increase taxes substantially anymore. And although they kind of um, implicitly always alluded to that, yesterday, um, during the, uh, ahead of the budget, when we were able to talk to some of the Treasury officials, it's actually the first time that they explicitly mentioned and suggested that, you know, for the foreseeable future, they are not going to increase taxes and they rather focus on broadening the tax base. And that is, of course, good for individuals. That is, of course, good for, for corporates, etc. Um, and the reason, of course, is because if you think about um, kind of a, a Laffer curve, which effectively says, you know, the higher you push up taxes at some point, you actually start decreasing the, the revenue because it affects the economy negatively. And also some of the recent research suggests that the, the multiplier for government, if they spend money, is actually negative. Um, and hence they uh, suggest that uh, tax increases are off the cards for the foreseeable future. That is good and quite a, a positive takeaway for, uh, from yesterday's budget. So what are the, the key themes that we're going to see over the next couple of months um, and might suggest that you know, markets remain quite nervous and probably re keep longer-dated interest rates elevated? The first is the government wage bill. Um, I've got a, a two charts there. Um, just the bottom left-hand side chart is just how the, the government wages, um, the, the annual increases that they got over the couple of years, um, have slowed um, after seeing substantial um, uh, increases in 2008-2009. Um, currently, it sits at around about 6%. Um, there's a wage negotiating negotiation starting in March. Um, rating agencies, bondholders, and to some extent, you know, market participants in general would look for the, for Treasury and the government not to give wage increases that's um, higher than inflation. Um, in fact, slightly below inflation would be, um, if, it, if it's in line with inflation, actually, I think the market might be um, disappointed. That's the first thing. So Africa generally pays too much for, for towards wages in the budget and one of the key things that's coming up. The next thing is electricity. I know we can talk for, for days about electricity. Um, and it's it definitely, if, if you ask us what's the one thing that South Africa needs to get right to push potential GDP growth um, from the current just below 2% uh, to 3.5%, um, we would tell you that is electricity. Um, our forecast, we do spend quite a lot of time on looking at electricity constraints, also how does it impact the growth. And the bottom left-hand side chart just shows you how we see electricity demand pan out over the next couple of years versus supply. Now, that supply, the, the, the yellow line takes into account um, ESCOM supply, both on old power stations that's being decommissioned, as well as anything new that's coming online, as well as also renewables. Currently, we think that South Africa will only be able to meet new uh, or, or, or um, peak demand by 2025. And from then on, the electricity constraint will be lifted. Um, until then, we think we will sit in a deficit. We do think that last year going into this year is kind of the, the biggest deficit, and it should at least ease somewhat. Um, one of the things I just want to mention is you know, right at the start, uh, my, my, the second chart just showed you kind of our GDP forecasts. Um, 
And currently, we think that the, the stage, the level four, three level four type blackouts that we get, electricity um, blackouts, that affects growth quite negatively. We, the, our analysis shows that if we get level one, level two, not as good, but at least the economy generally can cope with that. And that's not so much uh, growth negative. But the stuff that we've seen over the past couple of months and probably going to see for the next six to eight months still um, is quite growth negative, And that's also what we expect growth in the fiscal year from 2.4 to only 2%. Um, and then lastly, I mean, I'll just point out, we do think that if we lift this electricity constraint, so Africa's GDP, potential GDP will go from a 2% or slightly below 2%, closer to a 3%. That will transmit, be transmitted through generally um, capital uh, that's being allocated more um, uh, efficiently uh, within the economy. And when I say capital, investment, broadly speaking, and then also we think the biggest positive upside from the economy will come from total factor productivity. And, and, and it's an economic term, but generally we, we would just think about it as an economy that generally um, do operate much more productive um, with, with the electricity that's available for it. And then lastly, and the big theme, and you're going to hear about it for a lot, a, a, a lot for the foreseeable future, especially as we go into 2023, um, is the basic income grant. Um, government has, and the Treasury has explicitly said, and this is one of the upside risks to expenditure and something that also will keep the bonds from rallying, um, even if the deficit numbers improve, is what is government going to do with this basic income grant? The budget stated that they have not made any provision for a basic income grant beyond the social uh, distress relief grant that is being extended for 12 months. If we put in a, um, a, uh, a, a basic income grant, it obviously depends on how high it will be and where, which level they set it and how many people is included typically. Um, we do think that will typically be a basic income grant anywhere from 5 to 10% of GDP. And to put that in perspective, currently, you know, social grants that we pay towards, um, towards current social grants is about 3 to 4% of GDP. So, so, so a basic income grant will definitely up the expenditure here. Um, we will hear more about it. Um, if you ask us what's the probability of it happening, I would, we would think it's actually quite high. It does seem as if it's growing, you're getting momentum, and there's a lot of research being done on it. We don't necessarily think it's bad. Um, it all depends on how it's implemented. We've done a lot of research on this, and if it is financed in the correct way, and there is really only one correct way in our view, and that is if it is financed through existing government expenditure, i.e. they carve out some other stuff and push it towards um, basic income grants, it will actually be positive. And that's just, for example, my, my chart on the right-hand side, We've modeled three scenarios and just focusing on the green bars there. And this is specifically gross fixed capital formation. If we get a basic income grant and it is funded through existing expenditure, we actually think the multiplier effects can be quite positive because you give money from government, which is negative multipliers, to households, which is positive multipliers. Um, and that creates extra demand. That creates ultimately additional supply, which tends to drive investment in the economy. Uh, and by implication also employment. So that's quite good. And that's kind of the type of scenarios that we would look for. There are two very bad scenarios here too. Of course, if government comes out and they implement a social grant and they say, let us do this through borrowing more, very negative. And then also if they say, let's do this through taxing more, 
um, also very negative. But also then if I, just to my previous comments in the slide, the Treasury has indicated that they are there. Good. Um, and then maybe just to conclude um, and kind of tying it in because, um, you, know, you know, ultimately we are quite uh, interested in, in what the market's going to do and specifically what the rand's going to do. And I've mentioned right at the start that you know, we do think that the budget generally is quite neutral for the rand. Um, and it's, it's certainly not negative. Um, but we do sit with all these external environments um, and geopolitical risks in the current environment to kind of dominate the, the, the budget. Um, and one of the questions we get quite a lot is, you know, so how do we read oil and rand and oil in the budget and, and in the context of, of where we sit? So first of all, we would say that in this current environment and looking at what's happening, um, higher commodity prices, higher oil is generally, higher oil specifically, we read as growth negative. For South Africa, but generally positive for um, revenue for the budget because higher oil typically coincides with also higher commodity prices in general, which means that our corporate taxes taxes are substantially higher. So that once again bodes well for fiscal policy for revenue this year, as I've mentioned. On top of the fact that Treasury is quite quite um, conservative in the GDP forecast, so look out for a revenue overshoot again. Um, but ultimately. Higher oil is, is, is negative for inflation. Um, and we also think that it is negative for the RAND up to a point. And how we think about it, and this is just my slide that I show here, is you know, we think about the RAND specifically in terms of oil prices, uh, in, a, in terms of a smile, if you want. And there's a level of oil prices, which is kind of almost a sweet spot for, for RAND. Um, and we, we think that level for oil prices is currently around about $75 a, a, a barrel. When we move to the left of that small eye, oil prices lower. That typically tends to coincide with lower oil prices tend to be coinciding with a negative RAND of, or, or weaker RAND. That is generally economic explanation for that would be if oil is low, global growth is low, commodities are low. Ran typically under pressure, but the same also goes if oil goes too high and oil goes to you know say for example a hundred or if you talk to other other banks and other people you know they would might say oil goes to 130. That is also quite negative for the rand because oil is a big import. Oil tend to push up inflation, tend to ultimately be negative growth. Um, and currently with oil at around about a hundred dollars, that for us is more consistent with the rand at close to 16. Um, which where we stand now, and that's also why we think that the budget in general will play second fiddle to what's happening externally. But ultimately, too, I want to add, and I'll conclude with that, is that from a budget perspective, yes, we might not want a, 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 a two-week rand, but weaker rand with higher commodity prices certainly implies to me over the medium term that revenue will be higher for a from what we get specifically from corporates as opposed to lower. So overall, there remains key risks. It is definitely the wage bill, it's definitely electricity, and it's definitely a basic income grant. But for now, revenue upside remains. Um, but keep in mind, as I've mentioned at the start, revenue is cyclical um, and expenditure tend to be quite permanent. I'll um, leave it at that, uh, Jones, and then um, I guess we can open the floor for, for Q&A. 
Thank you very much, Walter. And uh, I guess uh, your, the title to, to when you started the presentation is very appropriate that essentially the minister just had to balance uh, social expenditure as well as uh, give the market a view that debt will stabilize. And it's a, it, it continues to be a sticky, a tricky balance. Um, but uh, would you would you think that uh, they, he, he did strike uh, a fair balance there? Um, and what uh, the, fo- the follow-up question to that really is, is a question from, from the audience, which is, do you think the reforms are happening fast enough? Yeah, so, so I guess the first part of your question is, um, did, he, did he strike a, a good balance? Yeah, I think he did, right? So, I mean, I think he was in a privileged position to be able to deliver a budget where there's lots of revenue, as I've mentioned, you know, within a, from a cash cash position, um, maybe not a debt position, but a cash position, um, it's it's an easy budget to, to, to deliver. Um, you know, and it's always then kind of balancing uh, fiscal discipline with the growth outcome. And, you know, as I've mentioned right at the start, they spend about 40 percent, 39 to be exact, percent of their revenue overrun, uh, which tells me you know, that's, that's probably um, quite a uh, a good way to look at it from a national treasury perspective, they keep growth um, intact, but they also keep uh, debt burden um, under control as well. Um, but once again, I will just highlight there that, you know, we've got to keep in mind if you take a five-year view or even a, over the expenditure framework, which is three years, that revenue is cyclical um, and expenditure is not. So in terms of structural reforms, look, I mean, no, I mean, the answer would be no, it, it's definitely not fast enough, right? Um, it can be, it should have been done much faster and much quicker. I mean, how long have we spoken about um, additional bandwidth within the, the telecom space that needs to be auctioned? Um, you know, when we started talking about this, I mean, we're, we're talking almost eight, nine years now, right? I mean, back then, the amount of money that government could have gotten from that was big. Now it looks like peanuts, given where we sit with the, the deficit, et cetera. Um, you know, we talk about ESCOM. Yes, things are starting to move, but we do sit with that burden as well. Um, fortunately, I think we're making progress on ESCOM. But um, overall, no, um, we are doing a pretty bad job, I would say, at that. Great. Uh, there, there's another question here about, um, you know, what does this mean for, uh, you know, the corporate bond market? Uh, as well as what does it mean? What does the budget mean for our metropolitan municipalities? I'll jump into those, but I'd ask you to kind of comment on how the market received this budget in terms of looking what happened to the bond curve yesterday. Um, I, I, I would say that uh, probably gave away a lot of positioning for, for a lot of people that might have thought that the budget was going to be a lot more bullish. But um, if you can comment on that, then I'll jump in on corporate bonds. Yeah, yeah, sure, right. I mean, so, so what? I mean, yeah, the budget, as I said, the market sold off uh, because I think you know, all the good news was priced in. Um, you know, just from a, a really macro perspective, you know, what does it mean for the corporate bond markets? You know, specifically, you know, also, it's it's not going to come through immediately. But if I look at what the budget tries to achieve, it definitely tries to achieve, um, you know, in, in an investment drive. And the budget actually also quite explicitly. Um, mention the infrastructure fund and all the initiatives. And if we can kickstart some of the investments, um, you know, I do think we'll get the knock-on effect where 
generally the corporate bond market would actually increase um, in issuance as opposed to uh, the kind of muted activity that we've seen. That's just kind of one observation from a macro perspective. Yeah, and then specifically, of course, also from a municipal perspective, you know, um, the budget also spent quite a lot of time on that, and we actually, in the past couple of months, also looked at um, you know, municipal funding requirements in detail. Um, it's a big gap, right? Um, and from the big, large municipalities, um, you know, I think they've remained tied to a large degree to the sovereign um, in terms of the funding costs. Um, I'll let you um, expand a bit more on that. But certainly, yeah, for your smaller municipalities, you know, revenue pressure remains substantially under pressure. And if you ask us, put a number on what the backlog in terms of rent, in infrastructure, and operational costs, we would tell you it's probably about um, 500 billion rand that's needed to wipe out the backlog that's in existence in municipalities at this point. Yeah, and uh, you know, I wouldn't uh, add too much more there. I think for generally, you know, in this in this economy, the only real lever for growth that's that's there, um, you know, your typical growth equals consumption, investment, uh, government spending, and net exports, is really the investment uh, line item uh, that's going to get us onto this different structural growth path. So for all markets, if you want corporates to, you know revive a corporate bond market, uh, you definitely need um, fixed capital formation happening to 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 fund to back up the projects for that funding. I think contextually, you know, our corporate bond market was always um, essentially created to to fund state-owned enterprises. They were huge companies um, that were probably too big for our banking system to to support the growth and investments that were needed. And so they leverage the capital market for that uh, um, and and tap into uh, long-term savings. And now you can see that the pathway or turnaround for SOEs is a very long um, and slow process. They're essentially scaling back in terms of their size and scale. And the pressure really all government is expecting, even in the national infrastructure plan, that two-thirds of... uh, you know the infra- uh, the funding that's required. I think it's a six trillion uh, headline number to 2050. Um, that two thirds of that really will come from uh, uh, pension savings uh, into infrastructure, and we can see that Regulation 28 is being amended to allow infrastructure to be an asset class. So when I look at uh, just the role of capital markets or um, investment managers. To you know, in this budget, it really is a case of saying, let's look at you know the national development priorities and see how they're trying to crowd in more private sector investment, and that's really the thesis. So, potential for corporate bond market revival is always there, um, but understanding that the mix is going to be less from uh, state-owned enterprises going forward, um, and so there should be a, quite a more of a roll-off of um, uh, of debt from the capital market, and 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 it's dependent. The replacement is dependent on um, a revival of inf- uh, of investments by by corporates. That requires confidence, and confidence is still stagnant. Um, I, I won't add too much more on uh, metropolitan municipalities. I think you know you can see where the headline numbers are, where the expenditure is going. Um, it really is about you know delivering. Um, social transfers on the most part, 
Uh, and on the infrastructure side, you mentioned there's a big backlog. And so I'd, I'd, I'd leave it there. I just want to remind the audience to uh, that uh, to use the chat function if they have um, any questions to pose. Um, I would uh, ask Walter, um, you know, where do you see uh, the red lines, I suppose? Um, we saw Fitch this morning in their commentary really talking about that, uh, you know, South Africa is still um, not biting the bullet to really consolidate the budget and they basically went past their expenditure ceilings. Do you think that uh, in the fiscal process two, three years down the line, they will reinforce that discipline of, of fiscal ceilings on uh, non-interest expenditure? Um, no, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to do that. Um, and that would be for really one reason is uh, the basic income grant at this point. Um, you know, uh, as I said, it seems as if they are going to implement it until we've got clarity on that. I think your base case has got to be that chances that we compress the deficit as fast as projected becomes smaller and smaller, right? Um, as I've mentioned, Treasury, the budget explicitly states that they do not make provision for um, additional spending on social services. Now, one thing, it's not necessarily bad, but if you don't budget for that, then that implication is going to put up your expenditure. So your, I think your bias has got to be that fiscal consolidation is further out than what Treasury projected. Um, and for that reason, I think the rating agencies and Fetch's comments is probably kind of right. You know, we need to get, before we want, even think about changing ratings from negative outlook to stable outlook and, you know, from a double B, you know, not even thinking about triple Bs, you know, investment grade at this point, but you know, uh, we, need, we need clarity on these big policies, right? Um, very important. And uh, in your view, in your opinion, to what extent um, was this sort of inflation or rising rate cycle going to um, be, I guess, uh, del- deleterious to, to, to the growth outlook? Do you think the balance between our fiscal and monetary stance is going to um, uh, be supportive of, a, of uh, the, the recovery that's been forecast by National Treasury? Yeah, look, I mean, so thinking about, uh, so when, in, in this type of environment, when, when we think about monetary policy, exactly, you cannot uh, exclude fiscal policy. Typically, in South Africa's case, when you run these large budget deficits, fiscal policy tends to be the dominant policy. Um, and to some extent, monetary policy almost just needs to, to follow, or, or at least it's more constrained in its ability to, to implement what it wants to implement. Um, if we take the current budget as how it's going to pan out, then monetary policy will have more room to maneuver. Uh, monetary policy in general remain, from a real rate perspective, you know, there's a lot of arguments, you know, monetary policy remains still, still very tight. But, but compared to where we come from, it remains very accommodative, and I, I think it, it, it is accommodative of, of a recovery um, if inflation is one of your binding constraints as well. So I think they will play ball on both sides of, of the coin, helping us recovery. But once again, right, monetary policy uh, doesn't change the structure of the economy. Fiscal policy needs to do that. So you can only solve so many problems with, with monetary policy uh, in the long run. And your, the, 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 there's a question about um, you know the issuance profile of uh, the sovereign. Um, and uh, 
do you see uh, yeah, if you if you can reconcile the sort of closing deficit and uh, more uh, the funding requirement? Why is it that uh, you see um, uh, higher issuance um, coming yeah. through as they're trying to consolidate? Yeah, yeah. So so I mean, ultimately you. So you, you obviously consolidated is as a percent of GDP, right? So as GDP grows, that percent, if your if your debt levels just increase slower than GDP does, that ratio will you will show consolidation, right? But in absolute terms, you can still borrow more. Um, so it's about the de- denominator as well as the numerator, um, and that is exactly what's being shown within the, the financing requirements, right? So. The deficit continues to grow, grow in rand terms. Nominal GDP just grows faster. Um, and because the deficit in rand terms are larger next year than it was, uh, or going to be large next year and then even larger in 2024 and even larger in 2025, by definition, you would need to borrow more. Um, and government tend to do most of their borrowing within the domestic long-term uh, market. And... As a, as a result, uh, they would most likely need to increase uh, their, their borrowing requirement. Um, it's, I will also point out it's obviously also a function of interest rates, right? Because if, if yields are high, then uh, you know, the, the cash that government gets in for every bond they sell uh, decreases. Um, and current environment, the longer dated bond yields being quite a bit higher than it was, for example, three, four years ago, for every 100 uh, rand of bond they sell, they only get on average around about 84, 85 rand of cash through the door. So that also plays a role. Um, and what would you make of the fact that uh, uh, etols uh, were snubbed? Uh, is a question coming through. Um, do you have a view on that? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's, I, I think it all comes back to the uh, you know, Treasury's standpoint uh, that they've mentioned. In general, they don't want to tax consumers more or households more um well the economy more right it extends beyond the households it extends to corporates as well right they rather look to broaden the tax base and part of the taxes of course is you know what's what's happening within the soe space your user pay principle that uh is becoming quite a burden um so i would see it in that context um, it's obviously from our perspective a positive because it also shows to the SOEs, you know, that you know they they cannot rely on on Treasury necessarily to bail them out, and that has also come through in this budget, which you know is a step in the right direction, right? I mean, there's there's no major additional funding um, over and above which has been promised uh, last year's budget. Um, so I, I think it's positive, um, and probably speaking towards you know tolls being uh, you know maybe finance in another way as opposed to through pay user pay principle at least within hot 10 that's great um walter i don't see any uh, additional questions on the line um but uh, i would uh, whilst i'd ask you to just give your closing thoughts um and if uh, there are any sort of burning questions that come through uh, i might revisit them uh, but you can go ahead and give your closing thoughts yeah, so, I mean, as I said, there's, a, there's been a quite a few positive developments in this budget, um, which you, I think one shouldn't sweep under the carpet. Uh, we look good relative to where we thought we were going to be 12 months, 12 months ago, where we thought we would be now. Um, I also think, at least if you think it from a market perspective, 
you know, relative terms compared to our EMPs, South Africa, from a fiscal perspective, is starting to be quite respectable. Um, and then it depends on who you compare yourself with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, you know, keep the key themes um, in mind when you make your decisions over the next couple of, of months. Um, 2022 is going to be a big year for these big decisions. Treasury is busy with the macroeconomic policy review, uh, which the draft is supposed to come out now in March, and look out for stuff like a basic income grant. Um, it could change the structure of the economy. Look out for what we do on ESCOM, because um, that also, as I've mentioned, is very key for potential GDP. And then lastly, you know, just from a cost borrowing perspective, look out for what's happening within the wage wage agreement for government. No, thank you, Walter, for your for your insights. Um, I think uh, for the outlook um, for for at least for the for the sovereign um, is a better picture than where we were at MTBPS. So you've, we've got to give them that. Um, but uh, you know, I think the cycle and the international backdrop that we're seeing uh, developing could really um, change the, the the tone and color. Uh, for for a lot of these numbers, so you know we we will be keeping a close watch, uh, particularly through currency and bond markets, and uh, seeing um, how um, the, the the government or government policies respond uh, to some of these pressures. Um, but until then, thank you all for for dialing in. Uh, thank you for your time. Until we see each other again, uh, be good out there. <laughs>